It's good to see you. So good to be uh, back home uh, for us. And uh, as Jeff said, uh, our family has come. This is, hey, I, I, I'm thrilled that it's a big week for y'all. It's a big week for our family. This is, uh, it's just awesome. We, we love coming back here. Um, and uh, Jeff, we just appreciate the fact that you, uh, you do this. Most pastors don't do this, y'all. They don't invite the former guy back, you know. And uh, he, he does that just to remind y'all how good you got it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a member of my family that you haven't met yet. Uh, Justin's wife is here uh, for the first time, never been to New Philly. And uh, Morgan, would you stand up? And Justin, why don't you stand up with her? Yeah. And as you can see, he's following the family tradition, and he outkicked his coverage, too. <laughs> um, but uh, I, most of you might uh, be aware of this, but uh, Morgan is uh, now housing our third grandchild, a little girl in there, and so we're, uh, we're very excited about that. All right, y'all ready to roll? Okay, I, uh, man, got so much... In my heart, uh, for those of you, as Jeff said, that uh, we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to meet you this week. And uh, all of you folks that uh, do know me, thanks for coming anyway. And uh, I I appreciate it. Look forward to hugging your neck uh, while we're here as well. You know, I, I don't know if it has gotten on your spiritual radar or not, but there is something that you just don't see a whole lot of anymore. You know, when we, when we uh, talk about people, we give accolades to describe them. You know, we, we'll, we'll talk about people and we'll say, oh man, that is such a funny dude. Or we'll say, oh man, he, he's just such a great guy. Or, you know, man, he is so smart. He is so cool. Wow, is she pretty? Okay, let me just ask you this. When when is the last time you actually heard somebody say, that guy's holy? When's the last time you ever heard somebody say, wow, is she is holy? Let me ask you this. Do you think that anybody has ever said that as they were describing you? And let me also ask ask you this, that based on what you already know about salvation, based on what you already know about the call of salvation, should holiness in God's people be that rare of a commodity? I mean, especially in light of the, the verses. And, and there's a zillion of them, and we'll probably go to all zillion of them in the next three days. <laughs> but, but, you know, the one that just kind of stands out to me is 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and, and verse 1, where, where God talks to us and he says, hey, listen, based on the promises of what salvation is... 
shouldn't it just do something on the inside of us that causes us to want to cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit in the fear of God? Perfecting holiness. If I'm understanding that right, basically what God is saying to us is that in our life, since we've come to know Christ as our Savior, there should be this constant growing in our fear of God. There should be this constant growing in our holiness to where we're becoming more and more holy. And yet, i got to tell you, y'all, it seems like the, the further we go, the later it gets, instead of fearing God, God's people presume upon Him. Instead of people becoming more and more holy, unless I'm just becoming a, a negative old codger, it would seem to me that rather than perfecting holiness and us just constantly working to get that thing right. We're becoming less and less holy as time goes on. And I get it, man. I'm not the, we can find a zillion ways to say this, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. But after 35 years of being in the ministry now, I think... I've finally figured it out. I'm the fastest in the slow class, so it took me 35 years to, to actually get this. But listen, the reason we have such a hard time, such a struggle with personal holiness, bottom line is, y'all, Our God isn't holy enough. And there's probably some of you that are trying to process that. What what did he just say? I think he messed that up. Our God isn't holy enough. And by that, I certainly don't mean that the God of the Bible isn't holy enough. What I'm saying to you is that our our biblical perception of who he is, isn't holy enough. Our spiritual understanding of him isn't holy enough. I'm saying to you this morning that we, I don't think we really comprehend just how utterly and supremely and even intimidatingly holy our God is. I'm not so sure with all that we know about Laodicea and the blindness, I'm just not so sure that our eyes have actually been anointed with ISAB so that we're actually seeing our God the way that He is. And that's where I want to begin as we kick off this conference this morning. I want to begin talking about why it is that personal holiness has gotten so jacked up in these last days. And the first reason is simply and profoundly this. We've lost sight of God's holiness. 
We've lost sight of God's holiness. And listen to me now. And in some cases, and I don't mean this to be an idiot, but in some cases it may be that we've never seen our God for who He really is in all of His holiness. Something's happened, y'all. The perilousness that Paul described in 2 Timothy chapter 3 has arrived. And Christianity is full and running over with people who are head over heels in love with themselves, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, lovers of money more than the things of God, And lovers of, just like Demas of old, lovers of this present evil world system. And the thing that is so crazy about it, the thing that is so perilous about it, is nobody even notices. It's like Surf Pro, man, like it never even happened. And we keep filing into our church services week after week. And we preach all of the right stuff. And we say all of the right stuff in the songs. But seldom is anybody ever convicted. And if they are convicted, seldom is there ever anybody who repents. We walk out like we came in. And we, we do this, and then we go back out to real life. And, and I ask you this morning, what's it going to take? What, what more does God need to do in our lives to bring us to the place to where holiness, the holiness that he's designed for his children, is absolutely manifested in our walk. I mean, where we're walking, as 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6 talks about, where we're walking, listen, y'all, even as he walked. In other words, that our life looks a whole lot like his when he lived here. Where we walk, as Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10 says, where we walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Or as Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 says, we walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called, where we possess the vessel of this body, as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 say, not in the lust of concupiscence like the Gentiles who don't even know God, but our walk is one that has been marked by sanctification, holiness, and honor where we walk as Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says in newness of life not like we used to walk where we walk as Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15 says we walk circumspectly in other words we, we walk within the circumference or the parameters of God's will and God's word in our lives, where we're walking, as Romans chapter 8 and verse 4 says, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, and not just after the Spirit, but Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, where we're walking in 
the Spirit. Or as Romans chapter 13 and verse 13 says, where we were walking, listen to this, honestly. Because you see, in these last days, y'all, a lot of people who claim to be saved walk like they're lost. And they're not being honest about whose they really are. Because as 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, nobody recognizes by their walk that they've been bought with a price. Nobody recognizes by their walk that they're no longer their own. Nobody recognizes by their walk that they have been called by the holy creator God of the universe to glorify him in their body and in their spirits, which are God's. And listen, y'all, if we're ever going to start walking like that, and for many of us, if we're ever going to start walking like that again, we're going to have to have a fresh vision of God's holiness. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? Grunt or something. Let me show you why I keep talking about us getting a vision of His holiness. It's because of what God tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15. It's a very familiar verse. You know what I've found with familiar verses is because they're so familiar to us, we think we know them, and so we never really do get to the depth of what they're really about. But Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 15, but, what's the next word? But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Okay, now, I think most of you are aware of this, but the word conversation is the old English word that lets us know that our life speaks. Our life communicates. <laughs> Do you understand the life that you've been living for the last six months has communicated something to your God? Do you understand your life in the last six months has communicated something to the people that you've spent time with? Do you understand that what God intends is that our life would communicate with the forces of evil in this dark evil world ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 says that what god wants to do is take our life and put it up in front of principalities and powers and say look at that i'm asking you is God grabbed a hold of your life and in front of principalities and powers that check that out? But what I really want you to see in this verse is that Peter is actually telling us 
that the holiness that we manifest in and through our lives will be directly proportionate to our comprehension of our Lord's holiness. In other words, y'all, listen, as we see the Lord's holiness, so will be our holiness. We could say it this way. The degree to which we see the Lord's holiness is the degree to which His holiness will impact and find its expression in our lives. It's based on how we see Him. And if by His Spirit I have allowed Him through the pages of this book to reveal to me the risen and glorified Christ in the fullness of His splendor and His majesty and His holiness so that I am struck in seeing that like every single person in this book who ever saw Him revealed for who He was where we are struck with utter fear. It was a fear that every single person in this book when they saw the holiness of the God of this book, they fell on their face. And what God was revealing to them through His Word, as Ezra chapter 9 and verse 4 says, listen, it caused them to tremble at His Word. I'm asking you, my brothers and sisters, and you know I love you, when was the last time you saw God in all of his holiness. So that you just made you shudder. But but listen, when you see the Lord for who he is and you get up off of your face and you get back onto your feet, something happened down there. Being on your face gets to your feet and it changes your walk. But if we have a tainted or distorted or shallow com- comprehension of His holiness, do you understand? It too will be manifested in our walk. And our walk will be likewise tainted and distorted and it's going to manifest itself in shallow living listen this is precisely our problem in the last days you know why we have such a high view of ourselves it's because we have such a low view of christ you know why we have such a strong regard for the world and the things of this world it's because we have such a weak regard for our God. You know why we have such a deep passion for carnality of every size and shape and dimension? Because we have a superficial passion for Christ. You know why we have such a high tolerance for sin? Because we have such a low view of the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, 
I'm not saying that we don't know that one of his key essential attributes as God is that he's holy. I know that we know that. We know the words, man. And we know how to articulate them. And we can teach them in a class. We can bloviate about them in a discipleship lesson. Or in a public prayer. We can sing about it in a song. We really like to sing about his holiness. And man, mm, we'll close our eyes and we'll lift our head and in many times we'll even shed real tears and we'll call it being in the presence of the Lord. But the fact that it doesn't translate into a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that change, it leads to a change of direction, that leads to a change of life that is marked by holiness, it might just be a good indication that this coming into the presence of the Lord didn't really happen as cool as we thought the song was. I, I mean, when I can quote-unquote, come into the presence of the Lord. And I can leave the presence of the Lord still thinking the same lustful thoughts, still harboring the same root or roots of bitterness, still continuing in the sinful habits, still loving this present evil world, still living for the same self that I did before I even got saved. It might just suggest that rather than being in the presence of the risen and glorified Christ where I'm seeing him for who he really is in all of his holiness, it may be that rather than that, I've just had a sentimental and emotional bath. And oh my, y'all, I, I don't know, I don't know what you had in mind for this, this, this conference but I, I can tell you, I, I've approached it as, I think, differently than anything that I've approached anything for a long time. Because, man, I'm telling you, y'all, I know I'm the one that's running his mouth, I was going to say yelling. <laughs> but, man, I, I got to tell you, what I want is I want the Lord to reveal himself to me this week in a brand new way. Don't you want that? I mean, isn't there something in your soul that's just crying out for a fresh touch from the Lord? For the Lord to give you a new perspective? For the Lord to give you an increased understanding, a rejuvenated passion, a renewed zeal, a, a clearer vision of His holiness? Isn't that really what you want, y'all? You know what I wish, man? I'm so serious. Man, I wish there would be some dad here this morning. We should be some mom. I wish there'd be some 
middle school or high school student, some single guy, some single girl, some grandparent whose heart would so passionately burn inside of them that they would cry out to Moses, with, with Moses in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18, Oh God, this week in my life, I'm begging you, show me your glory. And that they would cry out with Jacob in Genesis 32 and verse 26 and say, Oh God, I will not let you go except thou bless me. I wish there would be somebody in this room today that would cry out what David cried out in Psalm 119 and verse 132 when he said, look upon me, God. Oh, listen to this verse. This is so cool. Look upon me, God, and be merciful to me. Listen to the way he said it just like you used to do with people that loved you. Aren't you sick and tired of hearing about how God moved on this planet back in the Philadelphian church period? Aren't you done with hearing about all of the revivals in, in people's lives and in churches in days gone by? Where is somebody who is going to cry out to God and say, Hey, God... You know what you used to do back in the old days when people loved you and they cried out to you? God, would you do that for me this week? Would you do that? I know you did it there, but will you do that here? Just like you used to do? Does anybody think that God couldn't do that? Anybody think that God doesn't want to do that? Oh, man, where are the people who will go out of here this morning with their soul so stirred by the power of God, their spirit so stimulated by the word of God, their heart so longing for a visitation from God that they wouldn't just show up tonight. They wouldn't just show up the next three nights. But where are the people who are so hungry and so thirsty and so yearning and so longing for a supernatural, God-inspired revelation of Christ's holiness that it would cause them this week as they go through their day to be crying out with the psalmist in Psalm 43 and verse 3. Oh God, would you send the light and truth of your word to us this week? And would you take it and would you lead us and bring us into your presence in your holy hill? Or that is Psalm 24 and verse 3 says that we might gather each night and not just... This is what we do. We have our spring Bible conference and we've been doing it for years. But we're not just coming in to a church service. But could it be that God would even do something in our midst this morning that would cause us this week when we come into this room and we see ourselves gathering together for the purpose 
of ascending into the holy hill of the Lord that we might stand for just a second in his holy place before we fall to our face. Where are the people that God would so stir in their heart like Isaiah 35 and verse 8 says, people who would say, God, by your grace, by your power, would you get me off of this dirty, grimy, Laodicean road that I've been walking on and will you bring me to the highway of holiness? It will come every night and not just sing some tunes together, but as Psalm 29 and, and verse 2 says, that we'd come into this room and we'd seek to give the Lord the glory that is due His name and that we would worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Is that His beauty or ours? Yes. It's a beautiful thing, y'all, to come into the presence of the Lord. It's a beautiful thing to our God when his people come into his presence. Something about he inhabits the praise of his people. Oh, that God would so stir in our hearts that we would come into this room tonight and the next three nights in the spirit of Psalm 99 and verse 9 where we come to exalt the Lord our God listen and worship at his holy hill for for this reason because we so understand that the Lord our God is holy so that by the time we get to the end of this conference on Wednesday God will have so worked in us that spirit of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13 where our hearts have been, listen, established, unblameable in holiness before God all the way until Jesus comes for us. Or as Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 10 talks about, that, that that we would so allow him to work in our lives in the next few days that we actually become, listen, partakers of his holiness. You see that? Because I say again, that's what we've lost sight of in the last days. His holiness. And until we see it, and until we've allowed him to so work in us that we have become partakers of his holiness. Then listen, y'all. We, we might as well resign ourselves to sight walking, low living, carnal thinking, worldly pursuing, and a measly inheritance in the everlasting kingdom. When God has called us to and is worthy of so much more. You know what needs to happen to us this week, y'all? 
The same thing that happened in the lives of some key men in the Bible. And I want to, as we begin our descent into the New Philadelphia area, I just want to talk to you a few minutes. So that, for those of you that haven't been here, that means about another half hour or so. I'll try to do it faster than that. But I do want to just take you for just a second to the lives of three key men in the Bible that I think can preach an incredible message to us this morning. Okay, now open your heart. The first one is Job, and I think most of us are familiar with with his horrific story, and I think that most of us are probably pretty much aware of how his nightmare actually began. You remember how it began? It began with a conversation that the holy God of the universe was having with Satan. And the conversation that they have turns to Job. I've just got to tell you, man, that freaks my head out. Can you imagine God and Satan just talking about you? Wow. That's what's happening with my man Job. And the reason that they're talking about Job is God has brought him up. And you know why he's brought him up? It's because, like we were talking about a few minutes ago out of Ephesians chapter 3, God wanted to hold Job up as a facial to Satan. He wanted to say, hey, have you checked this dude out? You see, Job was a guy who, unlike Satan, and I think it's very important that you hear this, a guy that, unlike Satan, had never seen God. He was a guy who, unlike Satan, had never heard God. He was a guy that, as far as God's splendor and majesty and power and glory, again, unlike Satan, this guy's never experienced any of that. Listen, Job doesn't even have a Bible. He doesn't have a single page. He doesn't have a single verse. It it hadn't been written. The oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. And yet, listen, y'all, Job was such a spiritual stud that with the things that Job had heard about God and the things that Job had allowed God to teach him about himself you know what job had the title as the holiest guy on earth in his day and that certainly wasn't job's assessment of himself it wasn't the title that he gave himself it wasn't what simply what others thought about him or what others said about him because what history teaches us is it's it's possible to look at somebody's life and think they're holy and not really be reflective of what is really going on on the inside but job isn't that guy (laughs) because you know where he got the title the holiest guy on earth he got it from god and god says to satan in job chapter 1 and verse 8 Hast thou considered my servant Job that there's none like him in the earth? 
A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. In other words, he keeps totally away from evil. Wow. I mean, can you imagine the holy God of the universe thinking that about you? Or the holy God of the universe being so confident in the sincerity and the depth of your holy character to even think about holding up your life as a facial to Satan? And you'll remember that as a result of this fateful conversation, that Job lost his house, he lost all his stuff, he lost his animals, he lost his kids, he lost his health, he even lost his wife to bitterness. For all practical purposes, man, he lost her. But other than that, Job didn't have any problems. And by the time that his three friends come to console him, which turns into interrogating him to death, saying, hey, all this just doesn't happen to people. What are you hiding, dude? And by the time they wear him down, he, he gets a little testy with them. And he gets a little testy with God. And he's questioning God. And so what God does is he fires back about 75 questions in a row on his own. And I'm not sure if they were intended to be rhetorical questions or not. All I know is Job didn't answer one of them. But listen now, in the whole process, y'all, something was happening. Because he was hearing God's voice and he was understanding some things about God that he never knew. And he was seeing God through a different lens than he had ever seen him. And by the time that it was all said and done, you know what? Job, the holiest guy on earth, the guy with a totally impeccable life, you know what he says to God in Job 42 in verse 5? He says, mm. I have heard thee by the hearing of the ear. But now mine eye seeth thee. That's what I've been talking about all morning, y'all. Seeing him for who he really is. Oh, I've heard about you, God. Oh, but now my eye sees you. Verse 6, wherefore? I abhor myself and repent in sackcloth and ashes. You know what I wish God would do for somebody in this room today, man? For all of us in this room? Is that maybe we'd hear a little story about the holiest guy on earth that still needed to see something else about God. And he humbles himself. I, I wish there would be somebody in here today 
and we'd say, yeah, God, man, I've heard a lot about you through the years. I'm part of a great church. I've got a great pastor. I've got a great team of pastors who faithfully bring the word every time that they stand before us. And man, I've heard so many things that have impacted my life, that have impacted my walk. But oh God, this week, I don't want to just hear things about you. I want the Spirit of God who lives in me to do what Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. That God, would you give to me the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you and enlighten my eyes so that I can see you for who you really are in the fullness of all of your glory. That's what Job's life teaches us. What about my boy Isaiah? Isaiah, again, most of us are familiar with him. And listen, Isaiah was a he was a good man. He was being used of God. He walked with God. He was faithful. There wasn't any blatant sin in his life. A great case could be made for the fact of Isaiah being the holiest guy in his day. But listen, by the time we get to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah hasn't seen what God wants him to see. And Isaiah hasn't heard what God wants him to to hear, maybe we could say it this way, Isaiah's God wasn't holy enough. Holy! But not holy enough. And I think you know what happened in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He actually comes into the presence of the Lord. And he sees the Lord in the fullness of all that he is. And he sees all the incredible things that are taking place as he sits on his throne in all of his majesty and glory and holiness. And the seraphim are hovering around that throne. And verse 3 says that the seraphims can't stop crying out, Holy! Holy! Holy is the Lord of hosts! And God's holiness and glory is so majestic and so powerful that it causes the the posts of the door to shake. Oh, God, would you touch us like you used to do? Would you start shaking the doors in this place this week? But it doesn't just rock the posts of the door. It rocks something else. You know what it rocks? Isaiah. And he cries out in verse 5. I mean, he can't even take it all in. And he says, woe is me, for I am undone. In other words, I feel like I'm, ah, I don't even know where to go. I feel like I'm falling apart. I feel like I'm disintegrating. Like the wicked witch of the West, I'm melting. And because Isaiah sees the Lord for who he really is, he begins to see things that he never has seen before. He sees things in his life 
10 minutes earlier he didn't see. It was there and God saw it. But it could only be revealed in the light of God's holiness. And he sees it. And you know what he does? What I hope we'll do this week. He owns it. And he's cleansed. And you know what happens by the time we get to verse 8? He's hearing God say things that he's never been able to hear him say before. And you know what it does? It causes Isaiah to surrender himself like he had never surrendered himself before. And could it be, y'all, could it be that I'm talking to a good number of people in this room this morning who are a whole lot like Isaiah? You're a good person, man. And nobody would question that. You're doing the best that you can to walk with God. You're being used of God. You've got a place of ministry and you're faithful. There's no blatant sin in your life. I get it. You're not perfect. But it's, you know, you're not out, you know, carousing, but could it be that like Job? And could it be like Isaiah that as holy as your God is, He just isn't holy enough yet. And just like there was a time in Job's life, and just like there was a time in Isaiah's life when God rocked them to their core. Could it be that this week is your time? Could that possibly be? Let me assure you of this. If you want it to be your time, it will be your time. You say, well, how can you say something like that? I was reading this book, and it says in Psalm 51 in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, listen, he won't despise it. I'll tell you what he despises. Bless me, I dare you. Bring it. Pride. Okay, I got to quit. Let me just mention one more. My man, John. John is an unbelievable guy. Out of the, what is it? I don't know. 107 to 108 billion people who have lived or are living on this planet, he had the incredible distinction of being one of 12 out of 108 billion. Wow, that's some incredible odds right there. And, and that 12 
was a group that was discipled by the God of the universe himself. Wow. And that 12 became the foundation, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, the foundation of this thing that we call the church. And yet, listen, though he was part of the 12 He was also part of that inner circle of three with Peter and James. Listen, these three guys saw things that the others didn't see. They they heard things that the others didn't hear. They experienced things that the others didn't experience. They went further than the others went with Jesus. But listen, even though he was part of the three, John was the one. The way we might say that today is John was the man. He was the one that was recognized even amongst the disciples as the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was the one that had the most intimate relationship with him. He was always where he was supposed to be. Do you remember the night before he died? Before Jesus died, do you remember where he was? He has such an intimate relationship with the holy God of the universe. He's got his head on his chest. A lot happened in that next 12 hours or so. All the disciples scattered like crazy. And then they nailed him to the cross. And there's one disciple that's right down at the foot of the cross with his mama, with Jesus' mama. (laughs) And the last thing that Jesus does before he fulfills the final prophecy and says, I thirst, is he looks down through his suffering and through his suffocation and he gives the two people that loved him more than any people on the planet, he gives them to each other. And he says... This is your son now. John, this is your mama now. The last words Jesus spoke directly to anybody when he was in a human body was to John. And of course, Jesus dies, he's buried, he's raised from the dead, he ascends to the Father, and listen. For 60 more years, John walks with his Lord Jesus Christ. And he faithfully serves him. And he longs for his appearing. Domitian, the Roman emperor at the time, finds out that there's one of Jesus' disciples still alive. And He's afraid to kill him, and so he exiles him to the Isle of Patmos so he can shut him up and shut him down. And while he's there, God does a little facial, and he gives him first five words of the book of Revelation. He gives him the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that all of us can go to one book in the Bible and 
see him for who he is. And in Revelation chapter 1, John says, let me tell you about what I saw. And he goes through a sevenfold description of what he saw in his Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to see what he says in verse 17. And when I saw it, I went over to him and I put my head right on his chest like I did right before he died. No. And when I saw it, I fell at his feet as dead. I hear it all the time. Man, it is so hard to die to yourself. I think we may have just gotten the key, y'all. When we see the risen and glorified Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness of his glory and his holiness. The result is death. Which results in life. The life of Jesus being manifested through us and we become partakers of His holiness. And I I ask you this morning, To see him like that? Is that the cry of your heart? Is that the longing of your spirit? Is that the passion that's in your soul? Is that the decided determination in your will this morning? If it is, could I ask you to do this? Would you just voice that to God before we got walk out of here and go back to real life? Would you just say, oh God, stir in my spirit. Do something in my soul. Change my thinking. Give me the passion in my will for you. Let's bow our heads together.